0: Following over a year of virtual classes and meetings, on-campus activities are beginning to return, particularly for first-year students.
1: This week marks the start of in-person orientation for incoming USC freshmen as the campus begins to relax restrictions and return to in-person events.
0: I'm Will Kronsberg.
1: And I'm Tyler Fedor. You're listening to In the Loop with SGTV News 4.
2: This podcast is a part of Garney Media Group's Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is the collective partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcasts and other student work on
0: garnetmedia.org. Following three semesters of virtual and hybrid learning for USC students, the Class of 2025 is pioneering a return to in-person instruction for the university with new student orientation.
1: Also, a Lexington man tied to the riot at the United States Capitol on January 6th is set to be sentenced later this month.
0: And an African kingdom right here in the Palmetto State is offering up a look at the customs and cultures of Nigeria.
1: Stick with us, we'll keep you in the loop.
0: As schools nationwide adjust to learning after the COVID 19 pandemic, the University of South Carolina has reintroduced in-person orientation for new students.
1: The orientation sessions will include one day of in-person meetings and one day of online instruction with the option to explore Columbia. The university has scheduled 21 in-person sessions throughout the months of June and July, but will also offer three completely online orientation dates for those who wish to stay virtual.
0: News 4 reporter Justin Walsh joins us now from Columbia. How are you, Justin?
3: I'm pretty good, Will. How are you doing?
0: I'm all right, but uh, you know, big things to talk about with New Student Orientation, so tell us about the, uh, the logistics of orientation, um, you know, in person versus online and how it's going to work this summer.
3: Yeah, so luckily enough, this summer we actually got the chance to have an in-person orientation session, which is honestly great, just because of the fact that last summer when I did this for the first time, we went totally virtual, but um, we started sessions two days ago at this point on Monday. And it's been going great. The students are really having a positive impact, I think, versus the uh, online, the virtual platform. Um, this, we, this year, it's a little different still just to be mindful of COVID precautions. So like you just said, day one sessions um, involve all in-person um, experiences, whether that be small groups with their orientation leaders, college visits, or just any just campus partner presentations. On uh, the second day, it consists of online and in-person um, events so all students advising platform uh, advising sessions and their registration is completely virtual but there still are opportunities for students on campus um, to go to campus more campus partner presentations go to any offices they need cl- further clarification on so far but um in terms of everything going on it's really great too just because this in-person experience is really positive for the students because they get a direct feed off of they orientation leaders, and they get to actually experience the campus for the first time because a lot of students last year didn't even get the chance to visit the campus before they decided to go. So this format has been really beneficial for the students and us in general as a university.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that it works for the students, um, that allows them to really see campus because I know coming in as a freshman last year, I didn't have that opportunity. So I'm glad that the class of 2020, 2025 will. But on your side as an orientation leader, uh, what is the process, getting ready, and the behind the scenes look look like?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the orientation process really starts for us OLs at the beginning of the spring semester. So once we get back from campus, we have weekly meetings, which we call spring training, where we go over just logistics of kind of like leadership training, basic stuff like that. But um, two weeks before the session started, actually, all of the orientation leaders moved into South Quad for what we call intensive training. So that's when we have, we get presentations from campus partners. Um, we get shown around how the day's gonna work, how the day's gonna flow. And that's when we really get the chance to figure out how the structure of the sessions work, is those two weeks. So this past Monday was our first session. And it's very hectic because it's a lot of learning on the go. Like I said last year, I did this in a virtual platform. So just go to this link at this time and here's what you do then. But now our schedule is, very extensive, it's very long. You're on certain duties at certain points. Um, Like today, for example, I started out my day greeting students. I was driving those who, um, they're handicapped students. I was actually running the golf carts back and forth from parking lots to locations. Then I went into my small group, my students, and then college visits, and just here and there, and the day ends with a closing with your um, group. It's a small group consists of two orientation leaders with the addition of about 14 students. So it's really positive for them as well. But the behind the scenes part about this, what the students see and what the parents see is us being on, having our orientation leader voices on, and just our personalities ready to answer any question or address any problem that comes our way. But the reality of the situation is that there's a lot that goes into it, and I don't think my like my bosses and our professional staff get as much credit as they deserve because this process is so extensive, and they really deserve the highest praise because. There's a lot that goes on that's not seen, but it's so essential to making this flow in the proper way.
0: Now, one other thing I want to look at um, for freshmen or for on campus living this coming fall is a change to the university meal plans. What can you tell us about how on campus dining will change in the 2021 22 year?
3: The meal plan is very straightforward in terms of the fact that you have this amount of meal swipes a week, this amount of meal plan dollars, and you can upload Carolina cash, but the Carolina Food Co. and Everybody in charge of formatting the meal plan kind of switched it up, kind of make it easier for students because I know a big problem that I know needed addressing was the fact that some students, the whole certain amount of swipes a week wasn't really beneficial for them. It didn't really um, work. But when talking with USC dining representative Scott Warner, he said that meal plans will make the switch to being all access for residential plans with new meal exchange
4: combos and changes to how many meal swipes are allowed in a day. Um, So there's gonna be a residential all access plan with 200 meal plan dollars and a residential all access plan with 350 meal plan dollars for incoming first year residents. Those are the two options that they have. Um, So these are uh, designed to give each student unlimited dine-in access to all five residential dining halls. As many times as they want in a day, they can swipe into any five of these residential dining halls.
3: So the basis meal plan for all freshmen as they come, unless they choose to change it, is unlimited swipes at all residential dining halls, such as Gibbs or Honeycomb styles like that, and 200 meal plan dollars. So it really makes it easier for the students in terms of the accessibility. So if also if incoming or returning students have any questions, Warner says that USC dining will open hours to communicate via Zoom during the summer,
4: along with a social media campaign detailing the changes in the meal plans. Um, Every Tuesday and Friday throughout the summer, we have uh, like open office hours on Zoom. So that information, the login information is available on our website if somebody wants to Hop on and just have some face to face time. Um, people can contact us on our website um, as well as, like I said, through social media. So we have a lot of different channels throughout the summer. Um, in addition to you know the the in person orientation presentation and the online resource fairs that are scattered throughout the summer.
3: I know a lot of students right now, especially current students, have a lot of questions. The incoming freshmen, like when I would describe the change in the meal plan, didn't really understand the difference because this is this is what they know right now. There's no really changing from it, but it's really just beneficial. And aside from this, though the dining facilities are allowing the university's um, lead in terms of the COVID-19 guidelines, they may be um, they may be keeping in place. Warner says that they are looking to maximize in the community aspect of the dining halls so that for incoming students especially, people can gather for their meals and enjoy time together.
0: Justin, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Thank you so much for having me, Will. James Giannakos, who has connections to the January 6th riot at the United States Capitol, will be sentenced later this month on charges connected to threatening a former federal prosecutor.
1: Giannakos made threatening interstate phone calls to the former prosecutor, who lives in Florida, according to reporting done by the state. Giannakos had become angry when the former prosecutor confirmed reports that Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio had been an informant for the FBI in drug cases. While case records show Giannakos hopes to get a 10- to 16-month sentence, federal guidelines call for a 24- to 30-month sentence. Earlier in the year, the state also reported the FBI raided Giannakos' house and found a Capitol Police riot shield, allegedly taken during the riot, guns, and literature of the Proud Boys groups. The FBI said the items C showed probable cause that Giannakos was present at the riot on January 6th. As now, Giannakos is being investigated for assaulting a federal agent, conspiracy to assault federal agents, theft of government property, and interstate travel to participate in a riot.
0: Columbia celebrated OutFest last week to celebrate LGBTQ Pride as Pride Month officially kicked off. SGTV News Force Caden Dinkins reports.
5: On Saturday, June 5th, the organization called the famously hot SC Pride put on OutFest to kick off Pride Month after a year off due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The event included performances, music, local vendors, and the crowning of Miss Outfest, all to raise awareness for the community and money for SC Pride. According to reporting by WIS, members and allies of the LGBTQ community said the purpose of the events put on by the organization are a reminder to everyone to love themselves and love others for who they are. Auntie Duji, a member of the LGBTQ community said, My message is love, inclusivity, and magic. Love is magic, magic is love. If you want to be magical, magical, spread love, lead with love. SC Pride's next event will be held in October. In Charleston, Caden Dinkins, SGTV News 4.
0: Hidden in the beauty of South Carolina's coast is the opportunity to immerse yourself in the rich culture of West Africa.
1: The Oyotunji Yoruba African Kingdom sits on Seabrook Island, just south of Charleston, and offers a look at the long history of the Yoruba people in Nigeria.
0: The kingdom offers tours and a variety of festivals throughout the year, as well as a plethora of historical artifacts and documents.
1: To tell us even more now is News 4 reporter Finn Carlin. How are you, Finn?
2: I'm doing well, Tyler. Thank you.
1: Alright, well first I'm curious to know, how this place gone to being in South Carolina?
2: So the Yoruba Village at large has been in South Carolina for the past few decades, but it was not established as a kingdom until 1972. The first king of the Yoruba people was named Obawaja, who was born as Walter King in Detroit in 1928. After graduating high school, Walter became exposed to African religion, which would lead him to create his own priesthood in Harlem, New York the following year. By the late 1950s, Walter would even travel to Cuba to be initiated into an African priesthood that would spread the Yoruba culture to other African Americans in New York. When he discovered the Yoruba village in Beaufort County in South Carolina in 1970, Walter decided to reorganize the village with Nigerian traditions and custom in mind, building it up with his bare hands and founding the Oyotunji Kingdom in 1972, changing his name to Waja or King Waja.
1: That's a heck of a story. I mean, I I really want to know more about the Yoruba people. Can you tell me more about them as a group and their culture?
2: Yeah, so the Yoruba people are one of the most popular ethnic groups in all of Africa, as well as one of the largest, with around 45 million people. The Yoruba are deeply religious people. Their religion centers around an all-powerful creator god that predates Christianity, even though many Yoruba people practice Christianity or Islam today, even though the Yoruba religion also notices other gods. Even though not all of their religious practices have survived to the present day, the Yoruba people still share a common language, but the Yoruba have never been one political unit at any given time in history. The language common among the Yoruba peoples has extensive literature, such as poetry, myths, songs, and proverbs. In the Oyatunji village here in South Carolina, you can find their holy temple, which pays respect to the Yoruba religion and customs that are still practiced today.
1: Okay, so now let's say I go, finally arrived, I'm parked, I'm walking up. What am I going to be seeing there or doing? What can I expect if I go there in person?
2: Yeah, so if you make the trip to Seabrook, South Carolina, which is about an hour outside of Savannah, you will likely be able to take part in one of their many traditional festivals held throughout the year. These festivals are showings of the Aruba culture and tradition, which are made available to the public for those who wish to make a trip to the kingdom. The Oetunji village, as said by their king, Oba Adafunmi II, at its core is an educational place.
0: We exist as as an educational feature to the low country of South Carolina.
2: That's why you can schedule educational tours of the village itself or of the surrounding historical areas, some of which used to be slave plantations. Above all else, Oya exists as a place to represent an ancient African way of life through the Yoruba peoples of today. All
1: right, well, Finn, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. If you're not keen on making the drive, though, there is still plenty more to do in and around the city this weekend.
0: After Outfest this past weekend, Pride Month will continue throughout June. But that's not all. There's another great festival this time to celebrate Caribbean culture in Columbia this weekend.
1: That's right. The Main Street Caribbean Festival kicks off this Saturday, June 12th, from 12 p.m. to 10 p.m. in downtown Columbia, specifically at the 1800 block of Main Street. It'll be free registration is available through Eventbrite. A showcase of local, national, and international artists, all focusing on the Caribbean area. Will, have you ever been to Caribbean? I'm curious.
0: I haven't been there, especially recently, and I'm really interested to see how this culture, especially how it takes shape in Colombia, and what we'll see this weekend. I think it's a really exciting opportunity for people to go see what this is all about. Yeah,
1: no, I think I've only been like once, and I wouldn't call it exactly a cultural experience. I definitely have not gone any sort of experience with that culture. So this definitely does sound exciting. I think I might give it a go.
0: Absolutely. I I think this is a really solid chance to experience more cultures, especially because a lot of times when we... Uh, do go outside of the United States or into the Caribbean, some islands, we're not getting necessarily that cultural experience as much of just a, a tourist experience. So I think that could be a lot of fun uh, to do in Columbia this weekend. But if you're looking for something a little bit of a different speed, maybe something more kid-friendly, there is going to be Disney trivia at the main course in Columbia from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., also on Saturday, June 12th. Um, This is for people who know everything about Disney animated movies, especially Disney princesses. And we're going to give prizes for the Best Overall Winning Team and the Best Dress. So I think that's a really solid trivia opportunity. Awesome, yeah. And I mean,
1: if you're more maybe Marvel-inclined or Avengers-inclined, there's going to be a Marvel trivia next Tuesday. Same place, I believe, right, Will?
0: Yeah, that's going to be the same place next Tuesday night, uh, June 15th. So that's uh, Avengers trivia. So that's another really exciting trivia opportunity.
1: Yeah, no, that'll be good to go flex my film knowledge. I'm going to be honest, I kind of stopped watching after Endgame and then I, st- I started watching WandaVision and I stopped when it just got good and then I went back like a few months later and was like, I missed out.
0: That's the thing with Marvel. I mean, it goes it goes so deep. There's obviously everybody saw uh, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Um, those were wildly popular films, but then even when we think the Avengers are over, they come out um, with new series on Disney Plus like WandaVision and uh, it's just a, a great uh, series. And the trivia is going to be, I'm, I'm assuming, pretty difficult because there's so much in the Marvel world.
1: Yeah, it's a lot to keep in your head. But if maybe you're looking for a more relaxed, more, more of a vibe, the Sister Hazel concert is going on from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. on June 11th, located at the Ice House Amphitheater. It's, it's called one of the top 100 most influential independent performers of the last 15 years by performing Songwriter Magazine. That's some pretty high praise right there. Tickets are going to be twenty eight dollars online if you want to go watch them.
0: That is some pretty high praise. I haven't listened to any of their music, but I've heard good stuff. Obviously, uh, the top one hundred most influential independent performer uh, of the last fifteen years. That's a pretty, pretty big award, and and I'm excited. I've heard good things uh, from some of our colleagues, and and I think this could be a really cool concert on Friday.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I also have not heard of them. I also don't think I've been to a concert. Like ever, I don't remember. Either I don't remember, or I've never been to one. So
0: it's been especially tough to go to concerts in the COVID age. But I think growing up in our generation, we're so used to, to music streaming that concerts are coming or becoming a little bit more uncommon. So this is definitely sort of a change of pace um, for for people in college or, or younger age actually going out and hearing live music. It could be a a really cool opportunity, um, but sadly. There is rain coming to Columbia this weekend. Storms are expected on and off throughout the weekend. But the high today of 90 and the low of 70 show that it's staying pretty warm in the capital city when you get a chance to dodge that rain. Over in the stock market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average decreased by 12 points, the NASDAQ is up by 27 points, and the S&P 500 rose by one point. Keeping you in the loop, I'm Will Kronsberg.
1: And I'm Tyler Fedor.
0: You're listening to SGTV News 4. Join us next week to stay in the loop. News 4 reporter Justin Walsh joins us now from Columbia. How are you, Justin?
3: I'm pretty good, Will. How are you doing?
0: I'm all right, but uh, you know, big things to talk about with new student orientation. So tell us about the uh, the logistics of orientation, um, you know, in-person versus online and how it's gonna work this summer.
3: Yeah, so luckily enough, this summer, we actually got the chance to have an in-person orientation session, which is honestly great just because of the fact that last summer when I did this for the first time, we went totally virtual. But um, we started sessions two days ago at this point on Monday, and it's been going great. The students are really having a positive impact, I think, versus the, uh, the virtual platform. Um, this, we, this year, it's a little different still just to be mindful of COVID precautions. So like you just said, day one sessions um, involve all in-person um, experiences, whether that be small groups with their orientation leaders, college visits, or just any just campus partner presentations. On uh, the second day, it consists of online and in-person um, events. So all students' advising platform, uh, advising sessions and their registration is completely virtual. But there still are opportunities for students on campus um, to go to campus more campus partner presentations, go to any offices they need further clarification on so far. But um, in terms of everything going on, it's really great to just because this in-person experience is really positive for the students because they get a direct feed off of their orientation leaders and they get to actually experience the campus for the first time because a lot of students last year didn't even get the chance to visit the campus before they decided to go. So this format has been really beneficial for the students and also in general as a university.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy to hear that it works for the students, um, that allows them to really see campus because I know coming in as a freshman last year, I didn't have that opportunity, so I'm glad that the class of 2025 will. But on your side as an orientation leader, uh, what is the process of getting ready and the the behind-the-scenes look look like?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the orientation process really starts for us OLs at the beginning of the spring semester. So once we get back from campus, we have weekly meetings, which we call spring training, where we go over just logistics of kind of like leadership training, basic stuff like that, but um, two weeks before the session started actually, all of the orientation leaders moved into South Quad for what we call intensive training. So that's when we have we get presentations from campus partners, um, we get shown around how the day's gonna work, how the day's gonna flow, and that's when we really get the chance to figure out how the structure of the sessions work, is those two weeks. So this past Monday was our first session, and it's very hectic because it's a lot of learning on the go, like I said last year, I did this in a virtual platform. So just go to this link at this time and here's what you do then. But now our schedule is very extensive. It's very long. You're on certain duties at certain points. Um, Like today, for example, I started out my day greeting students. I was driving those who, um, they're handicapped students. I was actually running the golf carts back and forth from parking lots to locations. Then I went into my small group my students and then college visits and just here and there and the day ends with a closing with your um, group. It's a small group consists of two orientation leaders with the addition of about 14 students. So it's really positive for them as well. But the behind the scenes part about this, what the students see and what the parents see is us being on, having our orientation leader voices on, and just our personalities ready to answer any question or address any problem that comes our way. But the reality of the situation is that there's a lot that goes into it. And I don't think my like my bosses and our professional staff get as much credit as they deserve because this process is so extensive and they really deserve the highest praise because there's a lot that goes on that's not seen, but it's so essential to making this flow in the proper way.
0: Absolutely. We really appreciate your effort, all the OLs and the professional staff. Now, one other thing I want to look at um, for freshmen or for on-campus living this coming fall is a change to the university meal plans. What can you tell us about how on-campus dining will change in the 2021-22 year?
3: Yes, yeah, so um, before, we the meal plan was very straightforward in terms of the fact that you had this amount of meal swipes a week, this amount of meal plan dollars, and you can upload Carolina cash. But the Carolina Food Co. and everybody in charge of formatting the meal plan kind of switched it up kind of make it easier for students because I know a big problem that I know needed addressing was the fact that some students, the whole certain amount of swipes a week wasn't really beneficial for them. It didn't really um, work. But when talking with USC dining representative Scott Warner, he said that meal plans will make the switch to being all access for residential plans with new meal exchange combos and changes to how many meal swipes are allowed in a day. So the basis meal plan for all freshmen as they come, if they, unless they choose to change it, is unlimited swipes at all residential dining halls, such as Gibbs or Honeycomb, styles like that, and 200 meal plan dollars. So it really makes it easier for the students um, in terms of the accessibility. So if also, if incoming or returning students have any questions, Warner says that USC Dining will open hours to communicate via Zoom during the summer, along with a social media campaign detailing the changes in the meal plans because I know a lot of students right now, especially current students have a lot of questions. The incoming freshmen, like when I would describe the change in the meal plan, didn't really understand the difference because this is, this is what they know right now. There's no real changing from it, but it's really just beneficial. And aside from this, though the dining facilities are allowing the university's um, lead in terms of the COVID-19 guidelines, they may, be ke- um, they may be keeping in place. Warner says that they are looking to maximize in the community aspect of the dining halls so that for incoming students especially, people can gather for their meals and enjoy time together. And I know with the whole mask regulation being lifted on campus, it's such a liberty but we also gotta um, respect it and appreciate it. So for, um, for example, now during orientation, students and families do not have to wear masks and there's a large number of them not wearing masks and the OLs are not required to either. Me being vaccinated, I am at liberty to do so. Um, but for those who aren't, they still have to wear masks, be safe, but especially in dining halls, I know it's a big thing that y'all as freshmen missed out on which is a true shame because there's nothing like just texting your friends, meet me May and Russell, meet me and Russell, we'll go to Twisted Taco. It's just that experience is missed out on. And this semester, students are really going to get a chance to get that experience back, which is fantastic.
0: Justin, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Will.